How's everybody doing? Good. I have to warn you, I am not a trained professional. There will be nothing up there on the screen. I'm just a read and holler guy, all right? So if you have a Bible, you're going to want to loosen it up a little bit. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures this morning. If you need to exercise your thumbs during the introduction, for those of you electronically inclined, please do that. So we're doing a series called The End of Loneliness, right? Are you guys lonely over there? There's only three of you in that whole entire section. We're with you. We love having you there. It's awesome that you're staking that territory out. But just remember them, okay? How are you guys doing? It looks like, are we okay in this new place? It's kind of got the new auditorium smell. We're all a little tentative in here. Everybody good? Let me just hear an amen. Okay. Maybe a praise the Lord. Should we go that far? Okay, good, good. All right. You're warming up. That's good. So we're doing a series, The End of Loneliness, right? And uh, the topic so far on Easter, we had talked about uh, the unfailing power of God. Uh, Poor Ken, he had to do one on sexual righteousness. Whoo-wee, my daughter told me about that one. That was awkward. I went out of town, that's right. I got out of town for that one. I'm sure it was awesome. I heard it was great. Amen. Ken's a great, great friend and great speaker. And Ken called me Madonna. You guys, I see, have this little thing here. He called me Madonna this morning. And I told him, I said, to him, it's prima donna. All right. So <laughs> I will be addressed as prima donna by you. Uh, then we did last week, uh, uh, the marriage, we're at a marriage retreat down in San Diego and heard some great lessons on really being spiritual and having God at the center of our marriages and our relationships. <clears throat> Excuse me. My topic today is deep. And I can talk. Deep, but not for very long, so I'm not going to do that joke for very, for very long. But, uh, you know, deep relationships is really an unlikely topic for me. Um, I grew up, well, first of all, I'm a bona fide introvert. Any other introverts out there? Okay, there's about seven. No, there's, there's a few. They, they say, you know, somewhere around a third to a half of the population are introverts. And, You know, we don't always lift up, in America at least, the great advantages of being an introvert. Uh, As soon as we find them, we'll we'll start talking about them, I guess. But, um, you know, I love being an introvert because it does allow me time to think. And it's it's a basic need I have, like some people have a need to talk and to commune with each other. Uh, I have a need to just think, to sit down and just think and feel and figure stuff out. Uh, but it doesn't make me a likely candidate for deep relationships all the time. I grew up with four sisters. Um, they did a lot of talking. I did a lot of running away, you know, hiding, getting out of the house, being in the garage or out in the backyard. Um, I had a very uneventful upbringing, uh, pretty normal uh, No divorces, no catastrophic illnesses, no horrible car wrecks, nothing like that. It was just there was nothing to talk about. In other words, I had a pretty normal upbringing. So I'm just, you know, it's kind of funny that I'm up here talking about deep relationships. I just want you to know I'm not an expert, but I have learned a few things over the years. And I want to share a few things with you. Um, You know, family is a great resource for us to, to reference uh, when it comes to deep relationships, most of us have deep relationships with somebody in our family. Um, or if you've known somebody a long, long time, maybe you have a deep relationship with them. Of course, when you're in a family of God and you have God in the mix and you've known these people 
as family for a long time were really set up to be in great relationships. Um, I just want to share with you, I just got back from four days of, don't throw anything at me, okay? Pig hunting, hog hunting, okay? And I know in California that's like, you know, just, they were pigs, okay? They weren't like cute deer or anything. They were just ugly, stinky, smelly pigs, right? So, and, and just, yeah, like if you eat, you know, bacon, then you've essentially killed a pig before too. So, don't look down on me, all right? But anyway, I just got back. And by the way, most of the rest of the world doesn't think like we Californians do about hunting. So, we're just going to have to get over ourselves. But anyway, I was hunting for four days. And uh, I had, you know, it was really the culmination of my... Uh, the blessings God has given me in relationships. Uh, we were 22 men, ranging in age from, I think, about 25 to 65. Uh, we bunked up in a couple of rented houses. We went out in the field with our bows and our arrows, and we stalked around these, this ranch, this acreage, chasing little pigs, talking on the radios like little boys, uh, shooting and killing to our heart's content. And it was so fun. And, was it fun? Henry, Henry was there. We have a great time. Uh, what a great time. It's hard. You know, it's a long, it's in Oklahoma. It's a long, it's two flights and coolers with ice and all that nonsense. But it was so fun. And it's just, the, and I hope you get a chance to have relate, not to go pig hunting. You know, if you don't want to pig hunt, that's fine. But I hope you get a chance to have relationships like that. To build memories like that, to build relationships that help you through the stinky, hard, difficult challenges that come along too often in our lives. Um, I'm grateful to be in a kingdom where God says, have great relationships. Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about uh, God's, how God has evolved the way he reveals himself to us, and the level of involvement he has with us in our relationships. So we're going to do a little Bible study here at the beginning. We're going to go through five or six scriptures. I hope you're ready. Please try and keep up. You're going to have to flip your pages, loosen those pages up. Um, But here we go. We have a tremendous advantage, and we have a tremendous obligation in God's kingdom uh, to have deep relationships. Uh, God has reached out to mankind in various ways, and you'll see through these scriptures the evolution of just a creator, provider God, all the way down to a very intimate father God that he, that he reveals. Let's look uh, back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 2, and verse 15. A few of you have pages flipping, that's good. The rest, I assume, are on electronic, you know. Thank you for, for staying up. Genesis 2 and verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable to him. Of course, there was a lot of other interaction there. But this excerpt just reveals how God kind of revealed himself to the first man, Adam. He said, I'm the boss. There are rules. You've got to follow my rules. There's only one rule, really. Stay away from that tree. Everything else you can do. But he does establish that he's the authority over the created. And that's the beginning of our relationship with God. We understand 
um, that we have a creator, that we have an authority in our life as God. Um, And then he says also, he says, I understand it's not good for you to be alone. And you need somebody suitable for you. And so God provides and God reveals himself not only as the creator and the authority, but as the provider, the one who will take care of him. First point I want to talk about here is our deep and common roots that we have as disciples, as Christians, as the people of God. God started with all mankind in in the form of Adam. And he said, look, you are you are I will. I am your authority. I am the author of life. I am at this point. He wasn't even the uh, the creator of death. Um, He was the provider. He was the one who took care of us. But we all have this root as, as sons of Adam, daughters of Adam. We all have this root that we were created. We are like God. We are we're like Adam in our relationship with God in this way. In Genesis chapter nine. The relationship advances a little bit with Noah. Genesis nine and verse eight says, <clears throat> excuse me. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I will I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all the living creatures of every kind on this earth. And so God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. God says, not only am I your creator, not only do I provide for you, but now I'm establishing a covenant with you where I will be a God of mercy. God of judgment. They just saw that in the rainstorm, but a God of mercy as well. And so we recognize that the relationship that we have with God, our deep, our deep relationship with God is is ancient as ancient as Adam, that we are this people. And I'm, I'm, I'm building this up because I want you to see that until we understand who we are as God's sons and daughters, we're not going to be able to have the kind of relationships we need to have with each other. That we first started as the created, the creation. And now here God says, I'm also a God of justice, but I'm a God of mercy. And I won't flood the earth anymore. And I won't wipe you out. I'm going to come up with a better plan to help you, help you get to me. In Genesis 17, the evolution continues. In the person of Abram. That last verse, he used the word covenant. Covenant is like a big, old-fashioned, heavy word. It almost hits with a thud on the table, right? Like an old dusty book. Covenant. Um, Some of you bought homes in, in subdivisions. You have a covenant, right? A CCNR. Has anybody read it? No, I never read my name. So we don't, we don't really care much for covenant. But think of covenant as promise, special relationship, defined relationship, understanding that's written down in stone in some cases. 
And so he talks about the covenant again that he makes with Abram in, in Genesis 17. You guys there? 17 verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. And Abram fell face down. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants and uh, after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Uh, the whole land uh, of Canaan, where you're now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And so he takes it the next step. We're not just the creation. We're not just the objects of either wrath or God's mercy. But now here we are, a covenant people who, who God tells Abraham, I, will pro- I make a faithful promise to you to bring you into a land, to give you a place. Uh, these are the people of faith that Abraham is the father of. And he begins to narrow down his special people from all creation now down to this people of faith, this people of promise that would live in the promised land. And so he's building up this idea of covenant, that we're special to God, that we're chosen. We're not like everybody else. And as, as disciples of Christ, we, ha- we have to understand that's who we are. That's our, that's our identity in Christ, that we are special people. And so we have, again, deep, deep relationships because we're not just everybody else. We're not just the world out there. We're not just the nameless crowds at a ball game or on the news. But we have deep relationships because God has made it this way. And he's, he's beginning to narrow the funnel down to see who these people are. In Exodus chapter 6. God talks to Moses. God also said to Moses in verse 2, I am the Lord. It appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them and gave them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites uh, whom the Egypts are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will uh, free you from being slaves, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and the mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession I am the Lord. Now, there's a subtle uh, subtlety in the language here where God says that I'd revealed myself to Abram as God Almighty. His name was God Almighty, which sounds awesome, but it's not very personal. And out of Moses, he says, I'm revealing to you as as the Lord, your personal master. I am the leader of your people. Um, Of course, we know that this became the Israelite people and became the Jews and from which Jesus lineage came. And so he narrows it down, not just from people of faith, but now down to the people of the book, the people of the written covenant. Um, he def- he's defining these people as his people, these special, deep-rooted, ancient, connected people um, that we are a part of. 
course, we skip ahead several thousand years to the time of Jesus. Look in Hebrews chapter 8. You guys with me? Now, Jesus, on the cross, when, he, when he was talking about the Lord's Supper, right, he said, uh, this blood is what? A new covenant in my blood, or this wine is a new covenant in my blood. So we know that Jesus establishes a further developed covenant with us as his people uh, through, through the, the act of, uh, of the cross. And we remember that each week as we take our communion. We remember that we're a special people. We're chosen, not, not arrogant, not self-righteous, as Dave addressed so well. Um, but we're just chosen by God. We've been called out as Christians uh, to be close to him, to live differently, to treat each other differently. Um, we have a special and deep-rooted and common relationship with each other. Hebrews 8 and verse 16, uh, verse 6, I'm sorry. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. Talking about Moses. And it is founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or man his brother saying, Know the Lord because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive the wick- their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. So God takes this religion, this, this relationship through religion of a, of a man having to go to a priest and sacrifice an animal to be close to God after he sins. And he says, I'm going to abolish all that. I'm going to make a better relationship. You're not going to have to go to a man who will say, here's how you know the Lord, because you will all know me. You will all have a relationship with me. And so God defines, he brings the, 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 the borders of this covenant people even a little narrower to this select group of people that have been blessed to know the Lord, to find him, to be close to him. And we've all, as Christians, been through this, where we open the Bible up and we start to see ourselves in its pages and and we, we begin to be, get ashamed of how we've lived and we get convicted that we've, we're the ones that put them on the cross. And we repent and we're baptized and we're made whole and new and forgiven. And all of a sudden, we're in this brand new adopted family that we call the church. And so God brings us this, we have a common and deep root with each other. Not just in the few years maybe that you've been around this church, but this has been God's plan since he created mankind. To bring these people, to create for him a special people. And so our relationships can't be like the world's relationships. They can't be like the golf club or the, or the you know, whatever club you're a part of, the gym, where you just check in and work out for a little bit spiritually and head on out and do whatever you're going to do. We've got to have relationships that are deeper than this. God's been working on this since he created Adam. Uh, we've got to see this. It's what we're, what we're obliged to do. Um, look in Romans 8. 
And then he kind of blows us away because he says, I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to know you and no longer am I going to be just Lord, Yahweh, uh, scary God of fire, but I'm going to be your father. In Romans 8 and verse 15, he says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifying with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And so he takes us even another step. We're not just saved by the blood of Jesus, but he says, uh, I'm going to be your father. And you get to call me daddy. And you get to inherit what my first beloved, my only beloved son, uh, gets to inherit. And so he makes us this special people, this called people. And we have this root in common, this, this deep and common root is part of who we are. Our DNA is disciples. Um, and so relationships we have are must-have relationships. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. A couple more on this point. Paul says in Ephesians here, he says in verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him, the whole building is joined together. People come together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know, the culmination of all this, where God is going to reveal himself to the world, is through our relationships in the church. That he says, I'm bringing you together as fellow citizens, as members one of another, to be close, to be connected, to reveal who I am by the way you treat each other, by the way you take care of your relationships with each other. And so we have this deep, deep root and this ancient concept and plan of God that we would be close to one another. And so our relationships have to be deep. Or they mock God's intent with all of this. They have to be deep. They have to. There's no way around it. We've got to have, we've got to fight to find this. This is a funny verse. Look in Colossians. You say, well, okay, some people I can be close to. But not everybody. I mean, after all, he went to West High and I went to North and mm-mm, we just don't do like that. You know, or... or their skin is a different color than my skin. Or they make a lot more money than I do. Or a lot less money than I do. We can't have that. Look at this in Colossians. This will crack you up. Look at, look at this. Colossians 3, in verse 11. I bet none of you, maybe you felt this way, but actually I bet you've never had to deal with this. Here there is no Greek or Jew, Paul again talking about the church, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in and all. We got any barbarians in here? One? No, you're too nice, Nathaniel. Andrew, I believe. Nathaniel, no way. Any others? Um, we, 
Hey, man's been doing that for years, generations. You eat pig, you've killed one too. So. Anyway, I'm not going there. Sorry, sorry, I'm not going there. Uh, you may think I'm a barbarian because I kill poor little pigs. But okay, so what? They're in the church in the Bible, so you've got to love me too, right? So um, barbarians. Can you imagine sitting next to a barbarian in the early church? Whoo! You know, dude, check your spear at the door. It's poking me. I mean, can you imagine this church had to deal with barbarians? Okay, I'm, I'm being light, but barbarians killed people. Barbarians ran over tribes. Barbarian, or, you know, demolished entire communities, ran off with their children as slaves. I mean, barbarians were hard to love. And yet this is the church of the first century. And this is the church that we belong to. We've got some people we maybe see sometimes as barbarians, you know, Philistines, the ungodly. How could they possibly let people like that in the church? Well, there's room for all of us. Amen. So we've got to have we've have these deep and common roots. And so it matters how we treat each other, how we engage each other. We've got to do it right. We've got to do it well. Um, Look what he says further down there. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You know what? We have an obligation to overcome the barbarians in ourselves, the challenges in our relationships, and to treat each other right. It's part of God's plan. And I don't mean just being nice. I mean to be deep. I mean to talk about what's bugging you. We'll talk about that in a second. But we've got to get past this, all right, I only have to see him for an hour on Sunday morning, and I can, I can just bump shells with him at church and then go home. No, we've got to be deep. We've got to be willing. If you're struggling in your faith, you've got to be open. Talk about that in a minute, too. But we've got to understand that the depth of our relationship God looks at us. Do you remember the parable of the sheep and the goats from Matthew 25? I mean, who went to heaven and who went to hell? It's those. It was based on how they treated people who were down. How we treat each other matters. It matters. We've got to see that this is our our calling to have these kind of relationships. Um, you know, to forgive as Jesus forgave us, without limit. Um, 70 times 7, right? He told, I think it was Peter, you know. And those of you who are doing the math going 490, okay, I can get to 490. And then after that, no, it just means all the time. All the time. There's no limit. We forgive as Jesus forgave us. Well, how do we do this? We're so dis- desperate, disparate, you know, so different than each other. So many different backgrounds, so many different goals. You know, we claim to be a family, but you know what? All of us have a really different idea of what it means to be a family because we all grew up in very different families. You know, mine was dull and boring, and the big conversation was what's on TV tonight. That's how my family worked. My wife's family was very different. If they actually got to sat down and watch TV together, that was quality time because a lot of times there was fighting and all kinds of stuff going on. You know, I don't know where your family is, but we all have a very different view of family. And so how do we do this? How do we come together and how do we connect with each other? Um, leads me to point number two. Point number two, deep. For point number one, in case you're keeping score, was deep in common roots. Point number two, deep in essential waters. We invest in our relationships in the church. That's what we do. That's what we're called to. You might call it a discipling relationship. 
You might call it a one-another relationship. You might call it a prayer partner. You might just call it a BFF. You know what? But we invest in our relationships. It's being open. It's the essential difference between just being on the roster and being part of the family. We've got to understand these deep and essential waters. Look in Proverbs chapter 20, one of my favorite verses. Okay, the, the quick scripture flipping is done, so you can relax now. Whew, take a big breath. We'll look at a couple more, but they'll be easy ones. All right, in Proverbs 20. Verse 5, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. He talks about the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters. You know, when we find out what makes each other tick, we're beginning to find out what deep relationships are all about, right? This is what it takes. We can't be shallow. We can't be flippant with each other. We can't be guarded. We've got to be open. We've got to let people get in and figure out what makes us tick. Um, Go deep. Uh, Let somebody into those secret dark places in your heart. Uh, We've got to do that. We've all got stories of darkness in our past, don't we? I mean, even Dave, you know, model citizen. Dave, would you just stand up? We'd just like to bask in your awesomeness, all right? I like to give Dave a hard time. He's, but he's, I love his heart. I mean, he's got such a pure heart. He is a great friend because of that. But you know what? We've all got our stuff. We've all got our story. I was so afraid when I first started coming to church to talk about my, you know, sexual activity, about drinking, about all the stuff that I had done. I just didn't want to. I wasn't used to that for sure, talking about that. And some of us maybe talked about it once, but then we quit talking about it. You know, we've sinned since that time, right? I have. It's been 30 years, and I've sinned at least, probably 30 times at least, right? So, no, lots. That's probably 30 this morning at least. But, um, you know, it's hard to be open about this stuff. I am, you know, I, I am really ashamed of some sins that, that I, you know, have. there are a lot of sins that I got over. I quit drinking. I quit being immoral and all that stuff. But that was easy, easier when I was 18. But there's stuff that I'm still struggling with that I'm ashamed to talk about. Uh, I'm ashamed to think of myself or to, to even to talk about my fears, the things that I'm afraid of. They seem so silly when I talk about them. Here I am, 30 years in the faith, father of three kids, family, job, blah, 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 and I'm afraid of maybe talking to somebody about Jesus. You know, some little servant girl, as, as it were, just like Peter. You know, I'm like, oh, that's so embarrassing. I'm afraid of that. Cotton picking. I wish I wasn't afraid of that. How could, I want to be like Marco. He's not afraid of that stuff. Or at least he overcomes it if he is. But, but I, you know, I don't want to be afraid of that anymore. I'm embarrassed to confess that. I'm embarrassed to confess when I've blown it with lust or, you know, or worse. Um, and stuff that I've looked at, which hasn't, gratefully, praise God, hasn't been a big problem for me. But it has happened. And it's embarrassing. Say, so, you know what, bro, I was just... Surfing the internet, I just got crazy. I'm, I blew it. You know, that's embarrassing. That's hard to talk about. Um, it's hard to talk about our materialism. It is hard to talk about our materialism. But we are, if you live in America, sorry, you're materialistic. You just are. You try not to be. There's degrees. But you just are. <laughs> we are. Because it's all around us. 
We're getting fed it every day. Your worth, you know, your value in society depends on how much you can earn and how much stuff you've got in your garage. Um, we're material. It's embarrassing. You go to a, you visit our brothers like it's in the San Antonio conference. You meet people from India or something. You're just like, oh, I'm so ashamed of myself. You know what? You have three bedrooms. What? You've got a garage that you don't even have room to put your car in there because you have so much stuff. What? I mean, it's just we're materialistic. It's hard to talk about that. Um, I have this deep-seated fear of being found out that I'm just really mediocre. That's how I feel about myself, honestly. It's hard to talk about that with people. Because I want to be great. I want to be awesome, right? In the kingdom, we're awesome. I want to be awesome. But you know what? My little voice, my little grasshopper voice inside of me says, you're mediocre. You can't do it. Now, that's my issue, right? That's not God's or yours. I don't need your sympathy. I just need to repent. But, but we all have our stuff that's hard to talk about, right? We've all got our stuff, and we've got to be open with that. So, so now you know me, so maybe get open, and somebody will know you. And, um, you know, we've got to be open. You know, the great thing about being open is that this group of people, they still love you even when you're open. And you know how secure I feel that I can tell you that I feel like I'm mediocre half the time and, and you guys still love me? And like, whew, guess what? Satan doesn't use that lever anymore on me because you know it now. I'm not going to get surprised by anything. I've already opened up. We've got to find that openness with each other you know it says too and there that a man of understanding can draw them out we have a past where we weren't always men of understanding when it came to drawing out each other's sins and weaknesses we demanded openness we challenged anything that looked like defensiveness we weren't very patient with each other and so a lot of us have shut down said i'm not going there you're not getting me in a room with three guys circled around me and their Bibles open, pointing their fingers at me. I'm just not going there. But we've got to be men of understanding. We've got to be patient with one another. We've got to discuss our weaknesses and, and, and help each other out in a way that is godly, in a way that encourages openness and not wraps people up so they're on their heels and fighting for their lives in the corner. I mean, we've got to really be men and women of understanding. If you're discipling somebody, if you're in a relationship or you're mentoring somebody, let me appeal to you to be a person of understanding, That's right. patience, compassion, gentleness, humility. And as we make that commitment to you as leaders in the church, we expect that the congregation will say, all right, I'm going to take you on your word and I'm going to be open because that's the only way we're going to have these deep relationships. We can't hide. We can't hide behind, well, they're mean to me, or they, they, they're just going to blab it all over, or they're going to whatever. We, no, our commitment is to deep relationships and understanding these deep waters that we all have. Um, we've got we've to open up. Um, being men, of, men and women of understanding. I'll, I'll just share about Brian Craig's dad, Larry. Some of you have met him. He's been out here speaking a few times. Larry was the first, Larry and Mary Lou were the first couple that discipled us after we went in the ministry when we were all of 25 years old or something. And uh, I had never had anybody in my life who could just sit across the table and draw stuff out of me like Larry could draw stuff out of me. And he was just so kind and so safe and so pleasant. And he would get me to tell things that I had told myself I was not telling anybody. You know, and I appreciate people like that in my life. I aspire to be somebody like that who not just forcefully yanks it out of you, cough it up, buddy, but who really draws it out 
kind of like poison out of a wound where you just feel yourself recovering and healing as you talk about it. That's my goal. That's who we need to be. That's the part of our deep relationships that we're talking about, being uh, men and women of understanding. You know, I became a Christian because I was lonely. I told you about my four sisters, right? So they were always doing something that I didn't want to do. When I was seven, they dressed me up like a girl, and I didn't want to do that, so I learned to run at, you know, three or four or five, whenever that was. Um, scarred, mediocre, I guess, that's it. Um, but, you know, as I got older, they still were very different than me. You know, I didn't have brothers to, to you know, go out goofing off with. I was just, they'd go off doing their thing, and there I was. And I was like, I didn't have any real guy friends that were close by in my neighborhood, so it's like... I spent a lot of time, and I was an introvert, told you that already, so I, I spent a lot of time just not really being close to people, and yet I've got so many close friends now. It just blows my mind what God gives you when you're open. And let me just encourage you to be open. God used the loneliness in my life to become a Christian. I thought I was lonely for people. I'm sure that was the felt need I had, and it was a great group of guys in the church and the campus ministry that just treated me like a brother. And, and, you know, the scriptures that talk about God will give you hundreds of times of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. Well, there I was. I was a guy without a brother who all of a sudden had a hundred brothers. And I was loved and I was, oh, it was just, it was nirvana to me to come into the kingdom. I hope you feel that way with your relationships. Like, oh my gosh, these people are genuine. They're real. They love me for who I am. I can tell them the worst and they'll take care of me. Um, we've got to be that kind of people with each other. You, you know, the standard for relationship in the church is to know and to be known. Being a stranger here, not acceptable for very long, right? Uh, hoping to rain, remain anonymous, futile. Don't even try it. Don't even go there. Uh, you know, hiding in plain sight is really just being in the dark. Uh, being on the fringe, that doesn't last very long. You've got to come in out of the cold. We've got to be close to one another. Invest in your relationships. You know, it's the second commandment, but it's a corollary to the first. How can we really know God if we, love, if we don't love and know each other? Um, we've got to be that way. All right, the last thing I want to say is quickly this. We've talked about this deep connection we're supposed to have with each other, right? And if, if you're, let me just back up for a minute. If you're hiding in the fellowship, you're coming to church every week, but it's not doing anything for you. If you're just here and you're singing the songs with half heart, you know, if you go and you wonder where, what is all this closeness they're talking about, then do something about it. All right. Do something about it. Raise your hand. I'm struggling. I need a friend. I need somebody who's willing to know me, to listen to me, to help me out. Come in from the cold. Do something to get close. All right. These relationships are important. Let me say one last thing, that Jesus didn't intend entirely for these relationships to be just among us inside the four walls of this building, right? Look in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said quickly here, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, verse 43, sorry. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are, you not, e- are not even the tax collectors doing that? 
And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus talks about a perfect or a mature love and mature way. And the next depth that we go after we're deep with one another is that we realize we have to love like Jesus loved. We have to love the unlovable, those who aren't like us, those who aren't yet part of our covenant relationship with God. Uh, And we have to love those who are hard to love. Uh, The tax collectors, right? April 15th was, what, a week ago? Anybody loving a tax collector right now? I'm not. I struggled. I'll be open. I struggled. You know, tax collectors, hard to love. Um, Pagans, hard to love. People that dishonor God, that put it right in your face, hard to love. You know, some people are less hard, but they're still hard. Those people that annoy you at work, right? Don't we all have somebody who annoys us at work? Well, not Jackie, but, you know, the rest of us with real jobs, I mean, regular jobs, non-minister, sorry, I'll stop. Uh, But, you know, we have those people that annoy us at work. We have those people that maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a relative who's just so needy and you never seem to do enough. And yet they can't live without calling you to tell you how much they need you to take care of them. I mean, we all have those people that are hard to love. There's a country song I was going to read the lyrics to, but I'm out of, I'm out of time. It's just, called, it's just called I'm Hard to Love. You know, I, just, I don't make it easy. I know it. I don't know why you stay with me. It's a country song, right? They're all great like that. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm just hard to love. And sometimes we ha- we're hard to love. And sometimes we have to admit people are hard to love. But that doesn't excuse us. Jesus says, what are you doing more than the tax collectors and the pagans if that's the only people you can love? We've got to be deeper than that. We've got to take it further than that. We've talked a lot about our our deep and common roots. We've talked about uh, the deep waters. We've talked about this point I'm calling our deep and impacting love. Um, If you're not part of God's family, you need to be. You know what? Everybody, the the death rate in this country is 100% still. We all need need to be part of God's kingdom. We all need to have that plan. If you're not part of it, investigate it. We want you to look into the Bible. You don't have to be part of our church, but you need to be part of God's church. Right? You've got to be in the book. You've got to figure out what it means to have Jesus in your life. We want to have that relationship with you. Somebody here can be that kind of friend to you. I promise. They'll be they'll have some mistakes, but somebody here can be. And if you're hiding out in the fellowship, if you're lingering on the fringe, if you come and sit in the back, no offense to those who chose in the back today, but if you're there all the time, if you're there all the time, If you're not fellowshipping, if you're not staying close, if you're skipping midweek because you just don't care to come, guys, come on. We've got to have better relationships with that. Jesus' new command was to love each other the way that he loved us, right? That's what he said in John 13, that we have to love as he loved. Let's be the kind of people that love like this. I know a lot of people that were loved into the kingdom. Don't you? I mean, I kind of stumbled in. I was hungry for it. But there's a lot of people who are just hard to love, and you keep loving them, and they come into the kingdom. We've got a mission. We've got to love the unlovable. We've got to love deep in an impacting way. Deep relationships, an ancient and essential blessing from God for his family. They do not exist at full potential without God. And perhaps more than any other testimony we can give to the world, our love for one another will cause all men to know that we are his disciples. Amen? Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you very much.
Wow, what a message.